You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. The Last Dragon, which came out in 1985 and was directed by Michael Schultz. It stars Timac Guarriero, Denise Katrina Matthews, otherwise known as Vanity, Julius Carey III, Christopher Murney, Leo O'Brien, Faith Prince, Jim Moody, Johnny Yu, Ernie Reyes Jr., Mike Starr, Keisha Knight Pulliam, and William H. Macy. The genre would be kung fu musical comedy. A martial arts champion in search of the glow. Master, I need more time. I am no longer your mister. A rock and roll star on the rise. I know what it's like to lose precious things. A madman. Shogun. A maniac. You're going to put my video on your show, aren't you? The answer is no. And the glamour, the power, and the sound of Motown. I don't want you to kill anybody. Are you out of your mind? The Leroy Green I'm looking for is a little punk thinks he's a kung fu master. I am no master. You sure look like a master to me. This is Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. It's not often that a live-action movie can hold the attention of my seven-year-old son for its entire length. But I had a feeling that this one could when we watched it recently. And it did. Because despite having its share of very dated elements, this film is basically just 90 minutes of kung fu music video joy. It's the timeless tale of Bruce Leroy, charismatically played by Timek, trying to prove himself a master of kung fu by achieving that special glow. May God help me if I ever have to use my art. May God help me if I ever have to use my art. Conscience is our guide. Conscience is our guide. Peace is our shelter. Peace is our shelter. Beauty and perfection is our life. But standing in his way are the infamous Shonuff of Harlem, Julius Carey III, who is gleefully chewing the scenery here while sporting bright red football shoulder pads, and the sniveling local wannabe mobster Eddie Arcadian, shouted with abandon by Christopher Murney. No! Can I pick him or what? Shut up! Am I the meanest? Shut up! Am I the prettiest? Shut up! Am I the baddest mofo low down around this town? Shut up! I can't hear you! Shut up! Yeah. Keep your money. You just get that sucker to the designated place at the designated time. And I will gladly designate his ass for dismemberment. Yeah. Hey. Well, whatever. Any way you want to do it. It'll certainly be my pleasure, Mr. Nuff. Really, just about everyone in the cast is truly having fun, including the late great Vanity, as the beloved Laura Charles, who hosts a local music video show and falls hard for Bruce Leroy, after he rescues her from some of Arcadian's goons who have been trying to strong-arm her into playing the latest video from Eddie's girlfriend, which coincidentally is really bad. Equally awkward is an early vocal performance from Vanity herself, which just has to be seen, or actually more accurately heard, to be believed. I found the place. Go if you want to get in. Ha ha. 
I mean, there's some awkward mix of her attempting to sound like a vampire slash robot while uttering lyrics about avoiding angels on fire. I mean, hey, sure, it works. Works for the movie. Never say never at heaven's elevator door because once you dare, you can't get it up anymore. And most of the film just really does work as a goofy, self-aware, mid-80s time capsule underdog story featuring no shortage of crazy hair, costumes, and even breakdancing. Except we maybe spend a bit too much screen time with Eddie and his aforementioned squeaky voice girlfriend, whom I'll get to in just a bit. Now, we don't want our star to look like a little pig peed in her eyes now, do we? Uh-uh. Then knock it off. Don't bug me. Fix your face. <laughs> Shut up! But one bonus is that we also have early on-screen appearances from Chaz Palminteri, William H. Macy, even Rudy from The Cosby Show herself, Keisha Knight Pulliam, who of course is playing Leroy's little sister. Mama son, Papa son, Richie son, Lotus Blossom son. Isn't that nice, Sophia? Pretty chopsticks, Natasha. Oh, thank you. The martial art battles are fun, the music is catchy, and almost every major character is somewhat engaging. Plus, it has one of the all-time sequences taking place within a movie theater early on. They're all watching the Bruce Lee movie, and things get a little crazy. What else could you ask for? Well, well, well. If it ain't serious, I've been waiting a long time for this little I am sick of hearing these bullshit Superman stories about the Wassa legendary Bruce Leroy catching bullets with his teeth. <laughs> catches bullets with his teeth. The secret awaits eyes unclouded by ambition. What? Those who are bound by desire see only that which can be held in their hands. See, now it is mumbo jumbo like that. Skinny little lizards like you thinking they the last dragon that gives Kung Fu a bad name. The Shogun is back on the scene, and the Shogun is the master. Why don't you sit down and shut up? This brings me to the categories. The first category would be Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. Considering that this movie was actually produced by the founder of Motown Records, I'm referring to Barry Gordy, of course, It should not surprise anyone that it has a banger soundtrack. It's a high-energy collection of soul, funk, and R&B from a variety of Motown-affiliated artists, including Stevie Wonder and Smokey Robinson. Of course, the song featured, which ended up gaining the most prominence from the soundtrack, which included charting high and even receiving an Oscar nomination, was performed by pop collective DeBarge. It's actually presented to us as a hit music video on Laura Charles' show, and it's admittedly quite catchy. I'm referring, of course, to the flamenco-influenced Rhythm of the Night. And now for my video hot pick of the week, and it is hot, I say we rock on with DeBarge.
you couldn't avoid this song in the mid-80s. But if I had to choose one personal favorite, it would actually be a rousing funk number played about halfway through during a lovely sequence, also in Seventh Heaven, where we actually see Laura try to romance Bruce Leroy by putting on an extended montage of Bruce Lee footage on the big screen in her studio. Wow, this place is great. Know that you need to glow, you need to glow, the glow, the growth. If you love to live, you live the love hot, you gotta move to the up the road. Cause when you got the glow, that is no stopping what you want to do. It's a kick to both see just how excited our protagonist is watching this footage of his idol, Bruce Lee. And to also see more sparks fly between him and Laura. Now, the song that we hear over this comes from the late, great singer-songwriter-producer Willie Hutch, who originally hailed from Dallas and was also a frequent collaborator with many Motown acts, including The Fifth Dimension and The Jackson 5. During his storied 35-year career, he also performed and produced soundtracks for some very prominent exploitation films from the 70s, including The Mac and Foxy Brown. This song, performed by him, marked a long-awaited return to the Motown label for Hutch after doing his own thing for several years, and it did not disappoint. It even refers to the level of mastery which our protagonist is looking to personally achieve. The song I'm referring to is The Glow. Chinese Connection. He has disguised himself in order to get... Get into the villain's lair. Why did I not think of that before? I must go. Thanks a lot, Bruce. The next category would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Now, granted, just about every performance here is somewhat over the top, but pretty much all of them work within the context of the story, except for maybe one. I'm referring to Eddie Arcadian's girlfriend, Angela, who's an aspiring pop singer. She's red-haired, Italian, wears a lot of eye-popping colors, and has a very high-pitched voice, so I would venture to guess that this character might be loosely based on Cindy Lauper from this time period. And she is very gratingly played by Faith Prince in a very thankless performance, which is mostly made up of whining, crying, and half-hearted attempts at singing. Her character is basically the put-upon girlfriend of the bad guy, which was very much a trope in 80s action movies and comedies. So I get why she's here. It's just that it kind of stops the movie in its tracks whenever she is given any significant amount of dialogue. 
Now, to be fair to Ms. Prince, she was probably just doing what she was hired to do, and has fortunately been much better in roles that I've seen her in since then, in movies like Dave, or in loads of TV show appearances, including Modern Family and Frasier. So nothing against the actress. And it's not as if her character sinks the movie. It's just that her character, unfortunately, kind of falls a bit flat. Where you gonna go, Angie? Without me, you're nothing. Without that outfit, you're just another no-talent dental hygiene school dropout from two gardens getting by on her tits. And in the end, Daddy, you know what? You're nothing but a misguided midget asshole with dreams of ruining the world. Yeah. Also from Kew Gardens. And also getting by on my tits. This brings us to the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Now, the last 25 minutes of this movie is pretty much an extended climax loaded with Americanized kung fu joy. And it's just filled with great moments from a variety of performers, including most prominently Ernie Reyes Jr., playing young Ty, holding his own with a much larger goon dispatched by Arcadian, who initially seems flummoxed about what to do, as basically, Ty is this little kid who's challenging him. During filming, Reyes was actually 13, but he at least looked significantly younger. But no matter, because he's not only joyous to watch, but the dude is a sixth-degree black belt in Taekwondo, who could always really bring it from a young age. So he does leave quite an impression. But this whole climax culminates with one standout moment, which occurs during the final boss fight between Bruce Leroy and Shonuf. And we are talking one hell of a fight, too. Shonuf has achieved his orange glow and is cleaning Leroy's clock. It's looking increasingly grim as Nuff, as I'll nickname him Nuff, keeps asking him again and again. Who is the master? Huh? Huh? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. So Nuff starts dipping his head into the water of a nearby well again and again, just repeating his question as he continuously waterboards our hero. And then, just as his head is about to be dipped into the water once again, Bruce Leroy finally takes control and answers his question. All right, Leroy, who's the one and only master? I And then we see Leroy not only achieve his glow, but is shown center frame waving his arms in slow motion. It's an iconic image, very much based upon similar footage that we've seen of Bruce Lee back in the day. And despite that, it never feels overtly derivative. It's a true hero moment. And now the final category, which is the MVP, 
the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. At the core of this movie is what I believe is actually an underrated performance from Timac as our main hero. Now look, it's not a great performance by any stretch, but on paper, and this was his first real acting role, this character could have come off as just plain weird or creepy. I mean, we are talking about probably the second oldest attractive male virgin character of the 1980s, only behind Arnold Schwarzenegger's Julius from the movie Twins. You do like women. Well, very much so. Yeah. I mean, they're strange and sensitive. They have compassion. I have the highest respect for women. You're a virgin. Some of the stuff that this dude is expected to say straight could sound potentially off-putting from even a seasoned actor. And yet, as played by Timac, he keeps it sounding generally innocent and endearing. No small feat. Hey, my man. What it look like? Hey, my man. What it look like? Hey, my man. What it look like? And beyond that, there's, of course, the obvious fighting acumen. He had black belts in at least seven different martial arts, including jujitsu and taekwondo. And it shows. There is very little camera trickery when you're seeing him perform in this movie. Hell, even during the climax, when we see Bruce Leroy has the glow, it's just not as much of a stretch to see orange animation emanating from someone on screen when they can seemingly defy physics and look this confident doing so. For delivering one of the more endearing action hero performances of the 1980s, Timac Guarriero is the MVP. A great fighter, for instance, might be able to get just his hands to fill with such power that they would get the glow, which could be deadly if it fell into evil hands. Yet, if these hands belong to a master... Like Bruce Lee. Yes, exactly. Someone who has reached the final level and could make his whole body glow, the beauty he would be able to create would be without bounds. And my rating for The Last Dragon would be four and a quarter stars out of five. Undoubtedly, there was a good amount of cultural appropriation occurring within this movie, and the overall story can get quite silly and over-the-top at points. And no one can deny much of the cynicism behind the production to sell records for Motown, but I undoubtedly saw this movie at the right time, and it just hit my sweet spot. Even revisiting this movie recently, I can confidently say that it holds up. And that's not even the nostalgia talking, as trust me, having rewatched other films that I have loved from that era, I can confidently say that many of them do not hold up. Lost Boys, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Cocoon, Revenge of the Nerds. <coughs> Whoa. I mean, it's actually a longer list than I would care to admit, but this one does. And if you're looking to watch The Last Dragon, it is currently streaming on DirecTV and Pluto TV. And that ends another Kung Fu Fighting review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.